Hey y'all, this is Morgan. And this is Alina. And we are coming to you with our very first episode of Appalachia After Dark. We are so excited. I know, and we are going to be covering a topic that we seem to talk about a lot, and I think a lot of people are really interested in. So we are going to cover abandoned towns in Appalachia. How creepy. Right? And it really, I think, falls in line with a lot of what we want to cover with this podcast, looking at, you know, strange happenings odd superstitions, those weird legends, and even murders that happen in small towns, solved or unsolved. And so we really wanted to put together a podcast that covered a lot of that information. And we know that gets kind of dark sometimes, so that's not all we'll be focusing on. We will be looking at um, beautiful places to visit in Appalachia. In every episode, we'll be bringing you the Appalachia postcard. And we're excited to do that because Appalachia is absolutely glorious. It is wonderful. And while we want to share some of these like weirder and darker things that happen, we also know how important it is to show the diverse opportunities that exist in Appalachia. Yeah, weird things happen, but it's also gorgeous. It has amazing people in it. And I talk about it like I'm outside of it, but I'm in the heart of what I think of when I think of Appalachia. You know, Alina and I are both Kentucky natives. We've grown up here, lived here our almost our whole lives and it's very special to us to think about the things that are happening like in our own backyards Mm -hmm. Uh, we talk about the weird things that happen anyway so why not record it so other people can hear it too right right (laughs) Appalachia has a long history of storytelling absolutely there the oral history here Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of different storytelling uh, festivals that happen and competitions there is a liars competition that happens I think in West Virginia every year we grew up hearing these stories some of them maybe not we'll talk about new and fresh that have happened but I know for me it's about sitting on my mama's porch every summer and listening to her talk about things that happened to my granddaddy up in the hills that were reared and just like making my skin crawl and I'm thinking god I wish I could have recorded that that was such a cool story so this is kind of our opportunity to record some of those stories that we remember to find new stories that will now be recorded so that people can hear this forever after and we'll just cost you there may be some bad words yeah um I won't say we cuss like sailors but um I don't know if you get us going maybe we will speak for yourself Morgan Um, Yeah, so just to be cautioned and forewarned that there is going to be some curse words. Some of the stuff that we cover is going to be kind of heavy. Um, This is probably not something you want your 13-year-old to listen to. So if you're 13, just shut it off now. Go somewhere else. There are more fresh and better content out there. (laughs) No, there is no better content than what we have. (laughs) You can cut that. (laughs) (laughs) But there will be content that is better for uh, you as a 13-year-old. Maybe. Why are you listening to podcasts? <laughs> well, to be fair, I probably would have listened to this podcast at 13, too. I would have too. <laughs> so anyway, um, our first topic that we're going to be covering is abandoned towns, as we said. Uh, and Alina has a really awesome story. I know just a little bit about enough to make me really interested. So I really can't wait to hear what she has to tell us. And she is going to be the first storyteller on the podcast. Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. What makes a good story about an abandoned town? Sinkholes? Mm. Poisonous gas? Graffiti? Mm. And no way into the town. What? In a town that's been on fire for a long, long time. Son of a bitch. What? (laughs) Yes. Okay, yeah, you have definitely piqued my interest. Well, folks, we are talking about Centralia, Pennsylvania. Okay. It is in Columbus County and the most famous ghost town out there. Wow. Yes. Centralia, if you all like spooky movies, was the basis for Silent Hill. Oh. Yeah, the the, movie. Oh, the movie. Not the the creepy video games. That video game scared the shit out of me as a kid. (laughs) That's what I hear. Oh, my God. I can remember my dad renting that uh, on the PlayStation 1 or something and just watching him play at night and freaking out. My sister, she's a she's a gamer, and she would always talk about how freaking scary it was. She is not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the movie was based on in a coal town. Okay, that was on fire, 
And when the person who was doing the screenplay for Silent Hill, Mm. they started researching and found that, oh, there is a place like what I want to portray. Unfortunately, it wasn't filmed there because of the danger. You'll find out about that in a few minutes. Okay. But it was the inspiration for the Silent Hill movie. Very cool. In which Sean Bean doesn't die. (laughs) That is like... I don't know, the only movie he doesn't die in then? I think he got an award for that, maybe. I don't know. Well, he should. If not, let's give it to him. Can we start like an Appalachia After Dark podcast award to people who don't die in movies? We should. We should. You didn't die. (laughs) Oh, Lord, poor Sean Bean. Anyway, um, I love that movie. It was really spooky. The monsters were really creepy. Now, I don't think there's any monsters like that in Centralia, Pennsylvania. Well, damn it. Yeah, we'll see. The cool part about this town is that it was settled in 1841 as a mining town. It contained anthracite coal, and I'll talk to you a little bit about that later. 1856, they started mining in the town. They found this anthracite coal and was like, yes! We're going to start mining. Did they see dollar signs yeah, in their dollars, eyes like cartoons? Cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> yes. In 1869, some stuff starts to happen with the Molly Maguires. Oh, that sounds Irish. It, they are Irish, actually. Oh. Um, Top of the morning to you. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. No, I hope I didn't offend anyone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've got Irish in me, and I have a four-leaf clover tattoo and the good luck bear as my tramp stamp. So I feel like I can say top of the morning to you if I want to. <laughs> it gives me some sort of a right, doesn't it? I think so. <laughs> um, so the Molly Maguires, they were doing some shenanigans. Oh, look at you. <laughs> They're in the town. I wish you could see your face. She's so proud of that <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> I do love a good pun. <clears throat> I actually live for good puns, by the way. <laughs> So, um, there were several murders, and there were several uh, cases of arson that were caused by the Molly Maguires. Way to bring it down, Alina. Absolutely. Sorry. (laughs) It it got dark really fast. The interesting thing about the Molly Maguires is they were just not hooligans. They were actually causing issues, these kind of things, for a reason. Mm -hmm. They wanted better um, wages and better working conditions for the miners. Oh. So, they are trying to start... A union there. I see. And people didn't like that. They wanted to work people to death and get as much money as they could. Funny story. Shit, that's um, still happening. It really is, yeah. So in 1868, the town founder, which I didn't get the name, was killed by the Molly Maguires. Oh. And then in 1869, a Catholic priest was assaulted by the Molly Maguires and his name was Father McDermott, and he cursed the town and the land. Like straight up, mm-hmm. ooh, curse. Yep. he cursed it after he was attacked. I guess he uh, probably regretted his decision to move there. <laughs> it was like, I probably so. cursed this whole place. <laughs> so, uh, and I really think that curse kind of stuck. Uh-oh. And you'll find out. In 1877, most of the Molly Maguires were hanged, which mm-hmm. is really sad. However, they say that descendants lived there up until the 80s oh, of, wow. of the Molly Maguires. So moving forward a few years, in 1890, the census there in Centralia was 2,761 people. So it was a really booming place. It, for that year, yeah, especially. Mm-hmm. There were five hotels. 27 saloons, two theaters, one bank, which is funny, post office, (laughs) and 14 grocery stores. And I bet one of those was the Whole Foods. Oh, you know. Or like a Trader Joe's. (laughs) It has to be. (laughs) I love that they had 14 grocery stores and one bank. Yeah. I mean, that that was really interesting. And 27 saloons, I mean. Uh, You got to eat. You got to drink. Yeah. And then you don't trust the government with your money. Pretty much. So we're going to put it in mason jars in the backyard. That just sounds like my family. It really does. Yeah. (laughs) 
So in 1929, moving forward, the stock market crash caused closure of five mines. At that point, um, population started going down. The wealth of the economy started going down. And something happened um, after that to where anthracite coal was outlawed by Congress from being mined. Gotcha. You'll find out why shortly. Oh, the suspense. Apparently, that was lifted in 1950. Okay. So 1949, 1950, um, and that they were able to start mining again. You got new people, probably, yeah, to vote to let it. Okay, yeah. We need that. <laughs> anyway, uh, the population in the 50s was right at 2,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the coal mining continued through the 60s. Something really interesting happened in 1962. Okay. Five members of the volunteer fire department were hired to clean up the landfill there. Okay. And their solution for that is burning. Uh, Well, that's... I hear that a lot, yeah. Yeah. I think that... I I don't know about how I feel about that, but, you know... But it happens, yeah. It sure does. I think recycling's best. Put my plug in there for that recycle. They were cleaning this up on a strip mine pit. Mm-hmm. And so they were burning the garbage and didn't realize there was a fissure leading Down to the mines. The, yeah. yeah, just a little crack. So what happened is um, this had been done before and no problems had came from it. Some th- things happened that were different. The folks who were burning this stuff didn't put the fire out. Why even hire the fire or get the fire department to come? Because they're not going to put it out. Yeah, that's the whole Isn't that point job? of getting a fire. Yeah, you would think so. <clears throat> and, and if you're listening and you're one of those people, yeah, I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so, um, didn't put the fire out. Mm-hmm. Walked away. And the fire came down through the fissure and caught the mines on fire. Oh, my God. And they've been on fire since. What year did this happen? 1962. And it is 2018. Yes. And you're telling me it is still on fire. It is still on fire. Almost cussed. Almost went to Sailorville. (laughs) It's okay. You can do it because that shit's crazy. Things started heating up. (laughs) You and your pants. (laughs) In the town. (laughs) Oh, my word. Yeah. I'm just sitting here with my mouth open Mm because that's just... It's hard to conceptualize. It really is to think that a town has been burning since mm-hmm. 1962. And with the burning comes other things that are considerably dangerous. Oh, do tell. Yes. Well, I'm going to talk about this gas station owner first. Uh, oh, God. Okay. So this guy had an underground tank, which I guess they all do for gas stations. I don't know how that works. Yeah. But just going well, you out. don't see the tanks, do you? No, you, well, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> I just get my gas and go. I don't really care. <laughs> so this was probably the canary in the coal mine mm. scenario mm-hmm. when he went out to get his gas. For those who don't know what that is, coal oh. miners would take canaries <laughs> down with them so that when they died from uh, the fumes. Carbon and, monoxide. Yeah, from the carbon monoxide, uh, they would know they need to get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's now they have sophisticated um, ventilation plans, roof control, all of that. I used to work for Mine Safety and Health back (laughs) back when I was in school. So for this gas station owner, the temperature was 172 degrees. That seems awfully hot. I don't want that in my tank. Mm -mm, No, no. So, um, and I don't know if much came of that, you know, if or they were just like, oh. You know, that's fine. There's nothing going on. Probably depends on the gas station owner. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, just for my research, and I watched a lot of YouTube videos, there there were, the town was divided. There mm-hmm. were people who was like, okay, this is going to get bad. Yeah. The fire underneath. And then there were people like, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's not going to impact our daily living. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. See, so my husband would be the guy that would be like, so what? Nothing's running me out of my house. I would be the one packing a bag while he was saying that and getting out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Dragging him out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be fine as your house falls into the sea. You know what? I would just leave him because I'm petty. And I would be like, you know what? Fine. We'll see what happens. That's what you get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
1981, um, a kiddo named Tom Dombosky. Yes, he fell into a sinkhole. He was like 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Yeah. What he did was kind of was able to do some quick thinking Mm -hmm. and kind of had his back to the solid part, and his cousin was able to pull him out. He had his arms up and was... So he lived. Screaming. Yeah, he lived. And there's, um, I don't know, you just have to search it on YouTube, but I saw a video of him actually recounting. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he recounted um, his experience there in the place where he was at. Let's try to get a um, link that. On our social media and stuff. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. There were scientists that were doing studies, and it got back to Congress that this place was going to be unsafe. And and the reason why it's unsafe is sinkholes and poisonous gas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, in 1983, Congress gave the town $42 million to help people relocate. Wow. Um, A lot of people moved, about 1,000. So, that leaves roughly another 1,000 that stayed. Mm -hmm. As those people moved, their homes and then other structures, as they become abandoned, were demolished. Why did they demolish them? Just so nobody would... They didn't want people to come back. They didn't want a whole other town full of people that they had to get out of there. Gotcha. And I don't know if you've heard of eminent domain. Mm Mm-hmm. And I never really heard of that until I was doing this story. But apparently what happens is when you move out, the state takes ownership of the property. So in 1992, eminent domain was established on all of the properties. So like with... As soon as you pulled Frank out, Mm -hmm. they would come and they would demolish that. Yep. And I'd be like, see? See, I told you. (laughs) Yeah. Or a sinkhole might take it. I mean, you know, Mother Nature, she needs her sacrifices. (laughs) At this point, you know, the town is slowly dwindling with population. And, you know, some people are like, they are not going to leave. It's their home. And other people are like, I'm getting the hell out of here. (laughs) We're going to be swallowed up by Satan or something a lot of folks were you know like i said the town was divided and continued to be that way Mm -hmm. in 2002 the zip code was discontinued so they don't even have a zip code they don't which means no mail right no mail there's post on sunday you're pretty much yeah (laughs) they're pretty much cut off from the rest of the world for the people who continue to stay wow and that was like a thousand still left I don't know. That was it was a thousand in nineteen eighty three. Oh, gotcha. But I don't have an update of what the census was at that time. I bet it wasn't near as many. No, uh, it was probably the hardcore holdouts. It's yeah. like I'm not leaving my home. My husband. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in two thousand nine, the governor at the time issued a formal eviction of the residents. They were, hell no, we won't go. (laughs) And um, they fought back, they appealed it, and they won. I love the people of Avalon just so much. I really do, yeah. Um, In 2017, as of October, Mm -hmm. there were seven people that remained in the town. Wow. Yeah. On one of the YouTube videos I watched, there was a guy talking about it. He he was one of the remaining folks, and he was like, it's hell to get a pizza delivered. <laughs> I bet Domino's can't meet that 30 minutes or less. <laughs> they really couldn't do it. <laughs> they really, there's no grocery stores. Like, all of the municipal buildings have Centralia off of them if they're not demolished. Yeah. They've even um, taken out the curbs. I could have sworn I heard somebody. It was weird. Oh, But they've even erased the curbs. So they're making it look like maybe nobody is living here, you know? Right. Very few houses remain, and there is a remaining church called St. Mary's. It is not impacted by the fire whatsoever. Interesting. Yeah. Um, They're um, Route 61 getting into the town is permanently closed there are some other um, roadways in but Mm -hmm. they're blocked yeah um that doesn't prevent people from coming in on foot gotcha people have been real jerks going in there oh yeah they have messed we can have anything even if it's on fire it's why we can't have nice things really that come in they take pieces of buildings they do graffiti route 61 and miles and miles of graffiti 
like on the road? On the road. Yeah, and I'll put a picture on social media for that. It is called the Graffiti Highway at this point. But let me talk about anthracite coal for a minute. Sure. Anthracite coal is different from what is mined in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. It's tougher to mine, but it's more lightweight. Gotcha. It It burns cleaner and hotter but it burns. <laughs> for a very long time, apparently. The town is expected to burn for 250 more years. What? Yeah. And what I didn't mention is that the fire is spreading. It spreads so far every year. So this potentially has the impact to devastate other communities. It does. Do you know about how much it's like moving out every year? I think they said 75 miles a year. Oh, my um, God. I, that might not be 100% correct. If it's not, I'll do a correction on that. Nope, we're going to take it as fact. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you think of that happening for another 250 years, that is a very widespread impact. I mean, Pennsylvania can burn down, like, the whole state. Sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Just, just a pit of Pennsylvania it, would be all that was left. It's really interesting because people, you know, we do some paranormal stuff. I really didn't find a lot of paranormal stuff about this place. No ghosties? People go there um, and say they feel like they're being watched Hmm. or hearing odd sounds. Well, hell, you're going to. It's on fire. And there's, you know, what I didn't mention is the poisonous gas. Like, it would be building up in people's basements. Oh, my God. It comes through the fissures in the earth. Right. It is methane Mm -hmm. and um, some other terrible, terrible um, gases that are all combined. It's very dangerous, and that is why they burn or they tear down the homes whenever they, you know, a person moves out because they don't want anybody. I mean, it's real health health risk. Oh, absolutely. Somebody with uh, respiratory issues, there's. It would just be really difficult, I think, to main. You know, live there and be able to breathe Mm. uh, without complications. People feel they hear odd sounds. Like I said, they report seeing. You know, just kind of maybe apparitions. And some people say it's a gateway to hell. Oh, fantastic. Um, And there is a cemetery that smokes. Like, it comes up from the ground. So, you know, that'd be super creepy. I want to see that. Yeah. (laughs) And what I said, you know, I had the thought, like, you know, if jerks are coming into my town, I'm one of seven residents left. I mean, hell, you just want peace and quiet. Right. If if you don't have a zip code and can't get pizza, I mean... (laughs) You know, just leave me the hell alone. You just want some peace and quiet. I mean, it's been so bad. Hollywood used to shoot pictures there, mm-hmm. um, and they stopped coming because of the, the people who visit and just have no respect. Oh. But if I lived there, I'd be haunting people. I'd be <laughs> in the bushes. <laughs> I mean, it would be really fun. That would be my entertainment because, you know, you don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> And you're not going to get any TV if you ain't got a zip code. Direct TV is not sending a man out between 9 and 2 p.m. Exactly. It's just not happening. What are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're just you're going to make the, people. I love <laughs> to make the best out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but that is uh, Centralia. You know, there's so much to it. You can find um, an entire town history on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. about an hour-long documentary. The information I got was from Wikipedia um, for the timeline, basically. it You know, the, the saddest thing to me about that situation mm-hmm. is so many people had to lose their home. Oh, yeah. I would be maybe... I don't know where I would stand on that. I know where you, you'd be out. Oh, yeah. I might be a little stubborn about it, but then, you know, finally go. That's had to be heartbreaking for so many people. Well, yeah, and I I think of, especially people here in Appalachia, we have been forced out of our homes in a lot of places Mm -hmm. um, by outsiders. And so I can see wanting to stand my ground and keep my home, which I think is a a big reason that Frank would do it. It's why he won't sell our house now, because I know (laughs) there are at least 12 ghosts in there that are trying to kill me. And he's like, nobody's running me out of my home. Um, So I I get that. You know, Mm -hmm. I get that mindset. But to think that I would be living 
where sinkholes can happen and poisonous mm-hmm. gas is, I, I guess it really depends on the situation. Like, especially with my three-year-old, I would worry so much mm-hmm. about his safety that we'd have to leave. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do understand the mindset and that being torn over it, knowing I had to go, mm-hmm. but not wanting to. That's how my grandparents made it to where they lived and raised their kids because the Daniel Boone Parkway mm-hmm. took their home. Oh, so they could build a road. road. Yeah. Yep. And actually, as I drive down it, I see the family cemetery on, there's two of them, and mm-hmm. there's one on either side of the road, and I can see them from the road. Because it's split right down the middle it of sure it. It sure is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the sad thing about abandoned towns is that the soul of the community is lost mm-hmm. when the town goes away. Yep. And the seven people who remain there are still the community, but they're not the whole community. Yeah. I think that's what, I don't know what draws me to abandoned towns. That might be the story behind it, but I do love a good sinkhole story mm-hmm. if, if, as long as it's not, you know, under my house. Right. Yeah, nowhere near me either, please. <laughs> like the Corvette Museum, it, the sinkhole experience was just phenomenal. Yeah, and that's I, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, for is. anybody who wants to visit. Yeah, I really, I mean, the cars are okay, but man, it was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> because um, Bowling Green is the only place that they manufacture Corvettes. Yes, always and forever. And uh, I forget how long ago it was, but a sinkhole happened at the Corvette Museum. And mm-hmm. the earth just decided to swallow up some Corvettes. You know, what did you say? It wanted fast food? Yeah. <laughs> looking for some fast food. <laughs> I always say um, that Mother Nature needs her uh, sacrifice here and there. <laughs> so that's what she gets. She wants uh, she wants her sacrifice and she's going to get it. And this time it was for fast food. That's right. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's Centralia. What a crazy story. What a crazy town. I know. And it's just... You know, the people who used to live there are probably like, yeah, I wish we could have stayed or yeah. we should. Because I bet that was their home for generations. I mean, the town started in 1941. Yeah. So. Because I know that's something that's really, um, that happens a lot here in Appalachia. I can't speak for other places. It probably happens there too. But I know here, um, families live in the same place for generations. In you know, one particular holler, you'll have everybody mm-hmm living there aunts uncles moms dads grandparents have all built homes just you know in, in a piece of the yard and God, so that, that whole holler, yeah so stressful yeah i mean i love my family but i'm okay with not living right next to um, but that's that's what it is a lot in appalachia mm-hmm. people living very close together and um for generations so to see somebody being forced out of the home that mm-hmm. potentially their great great grandparents build when they had one bank and 14 grocery stores, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine. So. All right, Morgan. Oh, man. How do you? I don't know how to follow that, man. You got it. You got it. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so, since you covered some things in Pennsylvania, mine is actually in Tennessee. Uh, so, I'm going to talk about Elkmont, Tennessee. Never heard of it. Um, cool. You get to learn... All new things. <laughs> I love all new things. And did you go there? Um, I did, actually. I just got back uh, a couple of days ago, really. Um, it was really fascinating. I got to take a lot of cool pictures that we'll share on social media um, as well. Because when we talked about doing this podcast and doing Abandoned Towns, um, I had thought about Elkmont and thought, oh, I'm going there soon. So I'll get like yes. first-hand account of it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and some people might be aware of this place because uh, a couple years ago, there was a guy who was in Tennessee hiking around and he wrote an article about, quote, unquote, discovering the abandoned town. And people really took the word discovered and ran with it thinking he'd actually stumbled upon this, like, really cool never found sort of town that had been like hidden for hundreds of years or something but that's not the case you know anybody can visit it at any time you've been able to go for years he just meant i assumed that he had discovered it because he'd never heard of it i like to give people the benefit of the doubt well, sure <laughs> he could have been trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes but let's hope that's not the case 
So Elkmont, Tennessee is actually in the Great Smoky Mountains, and if you've never been there, you gotta go. It's beautiful. I love the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, it's actually the most visited national park in the country. It is a day's drive for about 60% of the people who live in America. Really? Yeah. Isn't that mm-hmm. wild to think about? That 60% of America in just a day's drive could be at the Great Smoky Mountains. You know, if traffic was better, I could be there in about two hours. That's true, yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's like three and a half for me here, mm-hmm. so... Um, so it's not too bad. They have over 850 miles of hiking trails. I only did a couple of those miles. Um, like two? Yeah, <laughs> yeah not very much. <laughs> um, and about 3,000 miles of just streams um, and rivers. And there's also a really wide variety of wildlife there. It's in East Tennessee. And Dollywood is there. If I've never heard of Dollywood. Oh. Dollywood is so cool. They have a really, uh, several good roller coasters. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, I love it. There are some thrill rides in Dollywood, um, and that was started uh, by Dolly Parton. And if you don't know who Dolly Parton is, please continue to listen to this podcast, but directly after, go find out about Dolly Parton. Absolutely. She is so amazing. Um, And if you, she has an autobiography. Mm -hmm. So if you could read that, I mean, if you love Dolly read it yeah I don't know how you could not like read a little bit about her and not love her yeah she's amazing um she and and she just does such good work and giving and oh absolutely you know yeah so I think I mentioned earlier I have a three-year-old and he is part of the uh Dolly Parton's Imagination Library which is if you sign up for this it's not in every area but for anybody with little ones and this is in your area, there's a thing called the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. And you can get one free book every month from birth to five years of age. Why didn't I get that? Yeah. With my kids. I wish you had known about it. Yeah. Uh, But it's great, and it's something that he looks forward to every month that we get in the mail and we get to read a new book together. That is so sweet. Um, Yeah, and it's just great that she offers that. And... Back in 2016, for anyone who isn't aware, there were some really crazy wildfires that happened in the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, These two, I think they were teenagers, set Mm -hmm. the fires. I don't remember if it was intentional or not, but either way, they were really, really awful. 14 people died from it. Um, I want to say like 18,000 acres burned. And, you know, the the most horrific part of that, Mm -hmm. besides the loss is that these people were let go because there was not enough yep. to charge them, not enough evidence, and that just they should pay for that. I mean, it it, it was horrific. Yeah, I, I mean... It was awful. If you think about how much land that burned and knowing that people died, and I think almost 150 people got injured, thousands of buildings were destroyed because of it, and those kids are never going to be charged with anything. But Dolly, uh, she ended up giving about $10,000 to each family that was affected by that, which is really awesome. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. She really cares about the people here. And I think that's not just a Dolly Parton thing. That is an Appalachian thing. We Mm -hmm. care about each other, and we will do anything to help Mm -hmm. give back if we can. We sure do. I thought that was a big digression from everything else. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about Elkmont, Tennessee. When the first folks came to live there, it was actually called Little River, and they were coming to search for gold and built like little cabins and things along Jake's Creek, and that was in the 1830s. And now, if you go, like when I went to Elkmont, you can, um, there's a Jake's Creek trail that you can go on and that sort of thing. There had been a lot of uh, rain when we went. Elkmont, Tennessee, where this little abandoned town is, is right next to the Elkmont campground and everybody had been evacuated from there the day before because of the flash flooding that happened with all the rain. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. So we really didn't get to go like on a lot of the trails when we went. We just went um, to look at the town and did some trails elsewhere. But the families who lived there were living off the land, you know, growing their food like a lot of people still do. I think in Appalachia, you know, corn, they had apple orchards. They even kept bees for honey. And honey is wonderful in all kinds of things, but it is really good with a bag of Doritos. I can't even, Morgan. It is so good. can't even. Yeah. You gotta try it. I promise you. It's the nacho cheese Doritos. Don't try it with other ones. Well, I mean, you can, but I've 
I do not put my stamp of guarantee that it'll taste good. Like the Doritos Except would get me. The, <laughs> Except on the nacho cheese ones. Yeah, you probably shouldn't eat that. Y'all, I have 15,000 food allergies, and milk is the worst. Yeah, I can eat anything, and I do. Uh, I, I kind of wish I could again. I'm yeah. really missing pizza and cheesecake. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, that sounds good. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> anyway, um, Doritos and honey is really, really good. So try that um, and let us know whether or not you liked it on uh, our social media. <laughs> I, or not. I mean, if you want to, you know, go in the camp where I'm saying don't do it, you know, be with me. <laughs> I don't know. If nope. Do it. Do it. We're like the left side and the right side of Twix. Yeah. <laughs> I say do it. She says no. You can tell I'm hungry, can't you? <laughs> so, uh, in the 1880s, uh, there was a businessman from Knoxville, and that's about an hour uh, and a half or so from Elkmont. He came down and created a logging company, but as I just said, you know, they had a flash flood earlier, just a couple weeks ago. They had had a really bad flood then um, in 1899, and it flooded the river where he had his logging company, like destroyed everything he was working with. That's sad. Because you know he didn't have insurance. I don't know he didn't have insurance. <laughs> Not back in the day. <laughs> but two years later, this colonel came by, Wilson Townsend, and he created Little River Lumber Company um, after he bought about 86,000 acres in the area, which is just... I can't. Yeah. I can't, I can't even can't picture what that is. Visualize whatsoever. <laughs> wow. Um, that's a kingdom or something. Right? 86,000 acres of land to have this logging company. So imagine if he had taken all of the trees for his logging company off of 86,000. Well, and how much did he buy it for? No, I don't know. know. But I, I don't wow. imagine it was cheap. It, $5. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you five pennies for that. <laughs> Um, because of some of the issues that England had when he had owned this area, uh, he had used a splash dam, um, which was just like a temporary wooden dam to be used, and it would like raise the level with the water, and you could like decide which way the logs went, and they would hmm. go move faster down the river. But when it flooded, it of course, broke down that splash dam. Well, my question is, is did he have a pack of, de- uh, of beavers, like, on call when he needed some damming? <laughs> you know, did the um, beavers do the damming? Um, for their privacy, I decided not to bring the beavers into the <laughs> They've asked for, uh, so that I don't violate our HIPAA <laughs> contract with them, we're not going to talk about the beavers. <laughs> Oh, now I'm just sad thinking about all the beavers that could have died in this flood, so. Um, no, they packed up and went to damn other places. There you go. They yeah, just, they they just rode their, the wave down. They got their little suitcases and their little families, and they went on somewhere else. I love it. Do you think they were engraved with their names? <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> Mythical beavers. <laughs> Um, So what Townsend ended up doing was actually uh, constructing a railroad to be able to move these logs. And he ended up connecting a railroad from there all the way into Knoxville. So he obviously had some really big dreams to be able to log all of this area, building up a railroad for it and that sort of thing. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, how long, I wonder how long that took. Mm. Make a railroad. You're you're showing that I didn't do enough research. Oh, damn doing. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in 1908, Elkmont finally got established as a town because it was the place that the train would come and, like, take the logs off of this train and put it onto this one to take on right from the logging company. But there are only two structures that still stand from those days, and that is the Levi Trentham cabin, which was built in 1830, and the Avent cabin, which was built in 1850. And so when we went um, not too long ago, you can still walk in one of the cabins. Oh, cool. Yeah, but in the other one, there's clearly some damage to the floor, so they had a cone up and you couldn't walk in. Mm-hmm. But it was just... And I've got um, a picture of the fireplace in the cabin from the 1830s. And it's just, like, to be in that place and think about 
all the history of it mm-hmm. and how long that would have taken to build just this like one room cabin was really cool. That's cool. But so Elkmont was really like a little logging camp and it was um, like depression era shanty towns, like this tiny little place is built of plywood that, you know, I think of the big bad wolf <laughs> and the pigs, like if you, you're going to blow it down if you blow hard enough sort of thing. But eventually as the operation got bigger and bigger, those shanty houses were taken away and put in other places because the company started actually selling land to more rich people in the area and they built this larger cabin called the Appalachian Club and this was this clubhouse that was built for members of you know it was like a little social club that they had Uh, but they started building up little vacation homes like little and I've got pictures too that I can share but they're smaller little um, cottages and cabins Mm -hmm. but if you think about for the time period which is around like 1910 1920 this was pretty big for a vacation home to be able to have. Uh, so after building those vacation cottages, they also ended up building this big resort for um, out-of-towners who wanted to come that maybe couldn't have afforded to build their own property but wanted to sort of be a part of this deal. And they built the Wonderland Hotel, and it was like a 50-room place that people could come and stay that weren't able to build their own cottages that sort of thing so tourism at its best even pretty early on yep they were already thinking about that and i think that that area was destined to be you know there for tourism oh my gosh gallenberg pigeon forge i mean all the changes that's happened over the years um it's just really cool and you know when you think about all those people who are coming this i think the wonderland hotel was built in 1921 and so all these people who are coming here that wanted to be part of the appalachian club uh, after they got to see these cottages and the club itself well apparently it became really an elitist sort of thing and they weren't letting in as many people maybe as they were or if you didn't fit certain criteria you weren't able to be part of the Appalachian Club anymore. Snobs. Exactly. <laughs> so some other snobs who were mad about it um, ended up buying the Wonderland Hotel and they turned it into the Wonderland Club and started building little cottages all around it <laughs> because they were upset they couldn't be in the Appalachian Club. <laughs> That's great. That's how... We are as Appalachian. Okay, you won't let me in your club? Build my own. I'll just do my own. I don't yep. need you anymore. You're not good enough to get in mine. Don't yep. even ask. <laughs> Very sassy luck. We, we are. We're sassholes is what we are. Um, but I saw a little girl when I was hiking that had on a shirt that said sasshole. She was like four. I loved it. I've never heard of that, actually. Yeah. I, it's my new thing. Yeah, I love right it. Now. I use it everywhere that I can now. <laughs> So just a couple of years after that, there ended up being a really big push for the national parks. Lots of people, um, they love visiting the Smokies every year, but people aren't always happy about how it was made um, because when the park was formed, it really forced um, a lot of people out of the existing town in the area. Not because it was on fire like Centralia, but people were forced out because they wanted to make this a place that would be preserved, um, you know, natural beauty, I guess. Which is hard, though. I mean, it's still your home. Exactly. Like we talked about with Centralia, this is where people have lived, you know, since the 1800s. Mm-hmm. You know, we've forced Native Americans out of their home. I can't even go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll probably do a whole episode. We could probably do a four-parter on that mm-hmm. for what's happened. Um, but this is, it's forcing people out of their homes who have lived there on their farms, their um, you know, their whole families are being pushed out. But that is kind of development, and that's kind of typical. Mm-hmm. It is. It, okay, we want to do this. You need to go. Yeah. The National Park said, well, we'll give you lifetime leases. So we're going to own the land, but as long as you are here, you can live in this house. But as soon as you die or move, we're taking it back. Imminent domain. Yeah. And so it was nice to think, hey, you know, I've got this uh, lifetime lease, but that wasn't always the case. They uh, So in 1926, the guy who founded Little River Lumber Company sold 76,000 of his acres to the state of Tennessee and North Carolina. So that left him with about 10,000 acres of his own. Um, and the Elkmont cottage owners were um, actually selling their cottages at half price 
And then they got that lifetime lease where they could stay there within the park boundaries, that sort of thing. Um, but in 1952, those leases were converted to 20-year loans, or loans, leases. Um, and then they ended up renewing them again in 1972, which would put them out to 1992. And at that point, they decided they weren't renewing any of those leases. So after telling people they could have lifetime leases, they went back on that. That's kind of shitty. It's real shitty. Yeah. All of those expired in 92, and everything went back to the National Park Service. And they wanted to remove all of those structures and let it return to its natural state. So the Appalachian Club, the Wonderland Hotel, all of the cottages around it, they wanted to get rid of. But some people came together and got um, the Wonderland Hotel and a lot of the cottages on the National Register of Historic Places in 1994. Yes. 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 So that protected them from being destroyed. That was, you know, a nose up and a middle finger to the National Park Service. Well, it's like, why don't we preserve some history here instead of demolishing it down and, you know. I mean, of course, it's nice to have a preserved park. Right. But there's some stuff there, too. And if you take that away, people will forget. Yeah. And... That, again, that's part of why we do this. We don't want people to forget about Absolutely. some of those things. So, you know, for 70 years that the Appalachian Club and Wonderland uh, Hotel and Club were there, you had about 80 families who were vacationing in those cottages and cabins, and then were just up and forced to stop. It is abandoned, but it was a forced abandonment. It's sort of like Sandralia. Yeah. Except that it's not on fire. There was one guy, though, who lived there for many, many years, and his name was Lemon Ombi. He actually built a cabin with his dad there in 1908 and never left. So he lived there his entire life. I don't think he died until he was well into his 90s. But everybody called him Uncle Lim. And while we were driving out to Elkmont, there was a road called Ombi Street or Ombi Road. Oh, yeah. that's so sweet. So it's like, oh, good. They're, you know, good in some ways young. they are uh, remembering him and his family. So he lived in a really small cabin that just had like a pot-bellied stove, a bed, a couple of chairs, and a family clock that had been passed down um, through the years. So in the mid-70s, there was the annual Tennessee Bar Association meeting, and it was held in Gatlinburg, which is just a couple of miles away from Elkmont. Yeah, and that's the, that's the big, like, tourist place that um, people will visit. So the president of the association at the time's name was Foster Arnett, and I got this information from an article that Foster's son, Foster Jr., wrote. He, his family had known Uncle Lim all of his life, and... Um, as president of this bar association club, he had to entertain any like big wigs that came to be part of this. That year, there were two U.S. Supreme Court justices, Potter Stewart and Harry Blackman, and they actually came to the bar association meeting. And he wanted to introduce them to Uncle Lim, you know, to let these two guys from Washington meet like a real true mountain man. So um, he took them up to where he lived up in Elkmont and showed them the area. They got to walk through all the beautiful flowers and the the beehives that he kept because as he lived there, he also sold honey to any hackers that came through, too. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, to be able to buy yeah. that, like, on the trail is awesome. Fresh from the source. Right. Um, and so after showing him all that, he went up to knock on the cabin door, and uh, Uncle Lim wouldn't let him in. And Foster's, like, embarrassed because he wants these court justices to meet him, and he's trying to tell him, you know, it's they're from Washington, they're U.S. Supreme Court justices, and he says, I don't care. I'm not meeting anybody from Washington. Y'all can go away. Um, um, and because, I mean, he has a good reason. I mean, look what happens the last time he let somebody in. Yeah. They tried to take everything from him, and we see that a lot in Appalachia. We sure do. It's hard to trust people from outside. It is just even going counties over, mm-hmm. you're not really, you're considered outsider in oh, yeah. some areas. Absolutely. Uh, Harlan is re- sorry. <laughs> Harlan. I'm from Harlan. <laughs> I totally understand. Harlan's probably the worst place. Yeah. I've seen where people are just really it's like, "Oh, you dress a little different. I don't like you." Yeah. So. It's um maybe something we'll cover one day about the shocks at the coal mines in yeah. um, Harlan County and it'll give you 
a bit of a clearer picture about why some of that goes mm-hmm. on. But, you know, like, so I'm from Harlan County, and I live in Perry County now, that there's just Leslie County that separates us, and I still had a hard time getting people to, like, be okay with me when I moved here. It, it really is a difference from county to county. Yeah. I don't, I have family from Leslie County and it's just not my bag, you yeah. know, it's just not. That's where we so. have our Morgan Cousins uh, reunion every year. And that's, just for the cousins because there's so many of us. And that's where we have funerals. Yep. <laughs> so. Yep. So we celebrate them in life and you celebrate them in death. Oh, gosh, I'd rather... Oh, no, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so so Foster is really embarrassed about this whole thing, and it just keeps apologizing to the justices, and they are cracking up because nobody tells Supreme Court justice no until you come to Appalachia. And then... (laughs) We'll tell you no. (laughs) Uncle M's like, go the hell on. (laughs) No thanks. I don't want none of what you're selling here. Um... But I think the cutest part about that story is every Christmas after that, um, the Blackman and Stewart families would send Christmas cards to Foster and his family, and they would sign it, give our best to Uncle Lim. So they always found that a really funny story. It never bothered them. And it probably, I mean, they probably respect him. It's like, okay, I, I totally understand. You know, we've screwed you over. Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know. You don't want to see us. Yeah. Foster Jr., who wrote the story, the, the last part of that article, which was really lovely, said, I suspect those four men have met now in a better place, and all of them are having a great laugh. That's so sweet. Yeah. I love it. I think it's really sweet. It gives um, me chills. So to think that Uncle Lim lived there his whole life is just wonderful that he got to stay the whole time. He died in, I think, in 90, maybe, so he didn't have to ever see that he wouldn't get that lease mm-hmm. in 92. But so in 2005, the Wonderland Hotel ended up collapsing in on itself. But in 2016, it burned down. And I'm thinking it was part of the fires that those two kids set. It probably was. And that is why it no longer exists other than a chimney and the stairs leading up to where it once stood. And, you know, the condition for those fires, it was a perfect storm. Oh, for sure. I mean, the wind and the how dry it had been, mm-hmm. it's just horrific. So I think the lesson that we can learn is, you know, keep your lighters and stuff mm-hmm. out of the woods. <laughs> like Smokey the Bear is not just a cute picture. He means it. I love Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear is the best. I met Smokey the Bear in school. I'm so jealous. Yeah, I got to hug him. He's pretty cool. I don't don't even want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But in 2009, uh, the National Park Service announced that they were actually going to restore the Appalachian Clubhouse and some of the cottages that are there. 17 of the 19 structures are going to be renovated that are located um, in what they call Daisy Town section of the Appalachian Club. And the other two that were going to be preserved are located in Millionaire's Row and Society Hill. See what I mean by just mm-hmm. rich, rich and elite? Um, I could have never had a place like that. I might pitch a tent like right outside the property. <laughs> I'd be over in the campground for sure. Yeah. So, in March of 2017, the National Park Service began demolishing 29 of the structures in Elkmont, and the majority of them um, were not preserved and were fallen really into disrepair. So, for safety reasons, they were tearing them down. And uh, but thankfully, that's part of that larger plan like I said to preserve what's there in um, 2018 this year they're also planning on taking some more down so uh, in the end there were about 74 structures in the beginning and there will be 30 or 35 after this year that kind of hurts my heart a little really it was um, really interesting to just be there in it so when you you go in and you can drive right up basically to the abandoned town and park and walk through and they've got a couple of things that show you just some history on it but you actually get to walk into these buildings like you don't you don't have to just stand out and look at it from the outside unless it's in disrepair like I said but they'll have something up but like some you go in and it just feels like you can almost feel the laughter of the families that used to live there or you know that would come in the summer or I picture them there at Christmas with Christmas trees up you know next Mm -hmm. to their fireplaces there was one building that I went into and it I think it was like the biggest building you could go in and it just felt really dark just 
like oppressive, really. I mean, there were lots of windows, but it just felt dark in there. Something not right up in there. It really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And like, you go through and you can go into the very back and it's like you didn't even know there was more. And you go in and there's another room and another bathroom. And of course, I think there was like a pack of cigarettes and a used pad in the floor. Oh, creepy. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the oppressive. Yeah, night. that's probably what I felt. It was weird. <laughs> um, but it was a really, really interesting town, and I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to go and visit it and mm-hmm. just see some of that history before, and I imagine one day we'll all be torn down. I know it's on the historic um, registry, but God knows what's going to happen with this administration. So, yeah. So yeah. for now, it's really nice to see and see part of that history and share that with my husband and two of our friends who were in Louisiana who had never been up to this part of the country. And so they really got an eye-opening history lesson about the area. I'm always dragging my family around to historical things. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's the historical things the best or making them come with me (laughs) and learn things. I love it. So those are two, our two abandoned towns that we wanted to cover, Centralia um, in Pennsylvania and uh, where the Appalachian Club once stood in Elkmont, Tennessee. And so it's a little sad to think about people being forced out of their homes, Mm -hmm. um, no longer getting to make memories where they had for years. So I really hope we can end on a more positive um, spot with talking about our uh, segment of Appalachia Postcard. And I will be bringing the Appalachia Postcard this episode. Two weekends ago, I have a 20-year-old son and a 17-year-old son. And we went to Georgia because my aunt and uncle live there, mm-hmm. my cousin. And my aunt and uncle, <clears throat> they live in Georgia, but they have some lakefront property in Alabama mm-hmm. in Cedar Bluff, which is in Appalachia, I checked to make sure. So my aunt and uncle, they have two mobile homes, and they're right, just some steps, and you're there on their on their boat. Right next to it is a place called Cornwall Furnace. Okay. It is so historical there. It's a really interesting. Cornwall Furnace pretty much was an ironworks place that provided supplies to the Confederacy. It it was really, it's set in a really cool place because it's right off the water. Oh, yeah. It's right off the water. When you walk down, and we'll have pictures on uh, social media, when you walk down the stairs or the steps, you see like a semicircle of big, huge stones. Not Mm -hmm. tall, but like where you would sit on. It almost reminded me of like a stone hinge kind of thing. Oh, yeah. The furnace itself looks like a giant A. So when we were out on the lake, you always knew where to come because it's right there. I mean, their property is just, it's just right there. So you would just look for the big A. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. much so um i'm just gonna read a little bit of the inscription cornwall furnace is in cherokee county in alabama and the town is cedar bluff i never heard of that until they got the property there it's a super nice place it's really really nice in 1862 the united states the confederate united states (laughs) commissioned the noble brothers of rome georgia to erect a cold blast furnace to produce needed pig iron for the war effort. Not talking about the Union. (laughs) Talking about the South. (laughs) The skilled labor was detailed from Confederate Army personnel. It is estimated that 1,000 laborers were employed in building the, the canal, tunnel, and mining brown hematite rock used in building the furnace in less than a year so that was a lot of work Mm -hmm. the furnace is huge and my aunt she walked us over to the other side of the road and we could see where the tunnels were it's just really rich with history the furnace output was small only six tons a day. Oh my <laughs> I can't even I can't even fathom it. But an important asset of the Confederacy in building cannon, carriage, and caisson, some of the first military equipment used in the war was made from the Cornwall iron. Oh. The life of Cornwall was relatively short lived. General Sherman occupying Cedar Bluff and Galesville ordered the furnace destroyed in 1864 and on two occasions sent detachments 
for for this purpose, but the furnace still stands. Perhaps the best preserved stack in the southeast. It's it's really intact. Wow. The furnace was put back in operation in 1867, but was blown out forever in 1875. Hmm. And this plaque that I'm reading from, it was um, placed there in 1976. So it's been preserved. And if any of y'all play Pokemon Pokemon Go, there are two stops there. <laughs> it's pretty nice because it's in the middle of nowhere. But um, it was really interesting to see, and it's just getting the history and just learning more about what's around you. And yeah. It, it's just a really cool place. I've been there twice mm-hmm. and hope to go back, and I'll go see it every time. Very cool. Well, that, pictures. that is the perfect first Appalachia postcard for us. And it will be on our social media, and you will love it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for our first uh, episode of our podcast. And we definitely hope that uh, you'll tune in for many, many more to come. Thank you, and hope that you get out there and enjoy Appalachia. Absolutely. And if you don't live in Appalachia... Come visit. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. We'll see you next time. The mountains are calling. I gotta go, (laughs) but I'm not gonna hike them. (laughs) That'll be me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Appalachia After Dark. We will be releasing bi-weekly episodes featuring a story from Alina and Morgan and also the Appalachia postcard. So you can check us out on AppalachiaAfterDark.Podbean.com or on iTunes where you can rate and review us. Please make sure to check out our social media with our Facebook page, Appalachia After Dark Podcast, and our closed Facebook group, Appalachia After Dark. You can check us out on Instagram at Appalachia After Dark or on Twitter at AAD Podcast. And please make sure that you email us with any stories or ideas at AppalachiaAfterDark at gmail.com. Thanks, y'all.